Okay, my friends, welcome once again to another episode here of the Red Delta Project podcast and live feed Q&A here on the RDP YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitch stream, Twitter, all the destinations, helping you to be fit and live free by taking a fundamental approach to diet and exercise. I'm Matt Schifferly from the Red Delta Project, and today's episode is sponsored by the entirety of the RDP library, books like Progressive and Weighted Calisthenics, Grindstyle Calisthenics, Micro Workouts. I'm going to be referring to a lot of information in these titles. So if you want to deep dive into some of these techniques, you can check out the playlists here on the RDP YouTube channel, as well as the books that are all linked down below. The uh, link is also down there for the RDP merch store. So if you don't want to go through Amazon and do the paperback Kindle deal and you want to just do PDFs, you can do it through there as well. All right. So what we're talking about today are six particularly, I wouldn't say they're so much unusual, but they're uncommonly used calisthenics exercises that I really do believe most people should be including more in their repertoire. I've been a calisthenics coach for well over a decade now, and in my opinion, too many people are getting caught in what I call the calisthenics rut. And the calisthenics rut is essentially when we mentally or sometimes even emotionally fixate on a particular way of doing an exercise, be they classic military push-ups and pull-ups, pistol squats, handstands, what have you. And the consequence of this is that we get kind of stuck in doing our exercises a particular way. And this is a particular problem when it comes to progressive calisthenics because we adjust the resistance and the difficulty of the exercise by changing up our technique. So if we're stuck doing our push-ups and our pull-ups kind of with the same classic standard way, that's kind of like saying there's one standard classic weight you should be lifting on a barbell, and you very rarely ever venture away from that weight. Like, let's say, okay, a 45 on each side, 135. So your bench press, 135. Your deadlift, 135. Your overhead press, 135. Your squats, 135. Upright row, 135. You just get stuck in a particular level of resistance, and there are lots of consequences with that. Uh, this, sometimes it's going to be too heavy, and you're just using poor form and not really getting the volume you need. Sometimes it's not going to be challenging enough, and it's going to be not uh, hard enough for you to really build the strength that you want. And other times it's just limiting your programming. You can't do drop sets. You're not doing like warm-up sets. There's times when you should be doing lighter with more repetitions. There's times when you may want to do heavier with less repetitions. There's a million reasons why we, you would use different weights on a barbell. And the exact same thing happens with progressive calisthenics because fundamentally calisthenics is just another form of weightlifting. Whatever you do with weights and machines, you do the exact same thing ideally with bodyweight training. The programming is the same, the techniques and the, the movement patterns are the same. Everything should be pretty much identical. But when we get stuck fixated on a particular type of training, like a classic military push-up, that throws the whole thing into higgly-piggly. And you're limiting yourself to a lot of options and a lot of potential growth. And the bottom line is that these unusual or uncommon exercises help you break out of those limitations. And so that you can really train in accordance to what you really should be doing. As always, I'll be answering your questions as well and taking your comments and chatting and interacting with you live. Michael is in the house. It's good to see you. He's saying, Matt, uh, good afternoon. Funny your topic today. I just started incorporating free weights into my routines. I just saw that as well. Because, yeah, you want to break outside the box. You know, 
uh, boxes and limitations are self-imposed much of the time. So don't ever feel like you have to exclude something from your training. But at the same time, don't even feel like you have to include it as well. So there are, I get questions from people saying, oh, I want to include this type of trainer. I want to include this exercise. Great, do that. But I also get questions from people saying, gosh, I just really don't like this kind of exercise. I don't feel comfortable or my wrists don't like this kind of exercise. What should I do? I'm like, yeah, scrap it. It's like, well, everybody says it's the best thing in the world and you've got to be doing this. Exercise. No, you don't. Remember that when you understand how fitness fundamentally works, there are very few things that are absolutely required for you to get the results you want. Because there's a lot of messages out there. You have to do these exercises. You have to train this way. You have to eat these foods. You have to have this type of diet. No, you don't. No, because unless your goal is method specific, like I want to be able to do 20 pull-ups or run a marathon or something, there's no good reason to exclude or include a particular type of exercise or training or dietary methodology if you simply don't want to do it. <laughs> because I get that criticism a lot from people. People don't like doing this exercise because it's really hard and they don't want to do it. Yeah, that's a damn good reason not to do it. You know, if you came to me and I get that from clients sometimes, they're like, I don't like this exercise. I don't want to do this. I'm like, okay, tell me more about that. Make your case before the court here. Why don't you like this? There's a very good reason you probably shouldn't be doing that exercise. There's a good reason, more importantly, that you should be doing something else. So if they say, yeah, it just feels like it's really uncomfortable on my shoulders. I feel like it's just a struggle. I feel like it's something that I'm never really feeling it much in the muscle or I've got much control over. I'm like, okay, yeah, these are good reasons not to do this. Maybe we can fix something about the exercise, but chances are very good. We should scrap that exercise for now and include something else. And that's exactly the case I'm trying to make here with these techniques because a lot of people out there should not be doing the standard calisthenics exercises that we think is the, the quote, standard basic way to do it. And we should be doing these other things instead. Let's get to a couple other ex uh, questions here. Alex is saying, hey Matt, uh, can we get a, a bike check video? Your bike fair, uh, bike fans, excuse me, uh, like me would love it. So uh, elaborate bike check video, like what, what I do for my riding and stuff. I gotta get me like a GoPro so I can take some footage when I'm out on the trail and stuff. Although, you know, it's, I've got a lot of friends with GoPros and they're like, yeah, I've got hours of footage. And what am I going to do with it? And like, it's, it's just, here I am riding down this dirt road at 12 miles an hour. Not exactly exciting. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the, the videos you see walk into Best Buy and they've got those classic, uh, the videos that they show of like people jumping off cliffs and backflips. So on mountain bikes and surfing and Maui and stuff on GoPros, I'm like, no one's going to buy, no one's going to be doing that when they buy a GoPro. It's like, here I am hiking on a trail. I'm walking. <laughs> Not the most exciting stuff out there. Uh, everywhere saying, uh, hey Matt, uh, thanks for everything. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, guys. Appreciate that you appreciate what I am trying to do here because I'm trying to ultimately make your lives easier. Yana was saying, hey Matt, uh, I totally love your content. Thank you very much for watching. I recently started working on a transition from plank to table bridge plank and forth, a uh, few reps for each shoulder. Very good. Yeah, those transition things are always a great way to explore new things with bodyweight training because it gives you the strength and stability with the transitions between various exercises. I know I've been critical of that sort of thing in the past, particularly with things like muscle ups and stuff, but transitory exercises and techniques like crawling or 
moving from one technique to the other certainly can help to fill in a lot of gaps and uh, cracks that uh, weakness can lie in uh, our muscles and our angles that we're working at. Bodyweight training is very good for that. Uh, yoga, uh, yoga Bible saying, uh, should you uh, completely uh, stop calisthenics after suffering from a herniated disc? Uh, no, no, no. Injuries in general are like that. So the first rule of thumb is just work around and listen to your body. Don't do things that hurt. Uh, it depends on the direction of the herniation, depends on the severity of the herniation, depends on where the herniation of the disc is. And if you're working with a good physical therapist or athletic trainer, if you're an athlete, they should be able to give you recommendations of this is what you can do, this is what you shouldn't do. Uh, let pain be your guide is pretty much the standard rule of thumb much of the time. But uh, yeah, use whatever you can. I mean, I always give this example. I knew a guy back in Burlington where he would come in and train and he had the full functional use of one arm. And that was all he could use <laughs> of his entire body. He could move his head around and stuff, but he could work one arm and that was it. He was that handicapped and he came into the gym religiously and he worked that arm. Believe me, he was a strong and very fun uh, guy, great sense of humor. But uh, I, when people are like, oh, I've twisted my ankle, I can't train. Oh, what was me? It's like, come on, you know, you can work around things. You can always work with whatever you have because we're not that invalid and we're not that laid up. Last one before we get into our exercises, San Diego, California. Good to see you as always. Saying, hey Matt, uh, lately I've been implementing single joint movements in my workouts, but I'm starting uh, to notice that my muscle chain is getting unbalanced because of it, especially in my upper body. So what kind of imbalance is we talking about here, man? So the single joint stuff should be supplemental to your big compound movements. It's not bread and butter things. Uh, so are you totally hitting your bicep curls like crazy and neglecting your triceps? Or are you getting the chest flies but not hitting anything for your upper back? Uh, or is the imbalance something not so much that it's created, but now something that you're noticing? Because that happens sometimes when people have a little bit more of a focused emphasis in their training where they will hit, for example, sissy squats and blast the hell out of their quads and then they'll be like, okay, got the leg extensions going. Now I'll get my leg curls, my hamstring curls, and they're weak as hell. And they're like, oh my gosh, like on suspension straps or something, like what the heck is going on? It's like, it didn't cause the imbalance. The imbalance was always there. Now it's just making you more aware of it because don't underestimate the compensatory patterns of the body. You can do pistol squats till the cows come home and still somehow not really have the strongest knee flexors. You've just worked around it somehow. And so now that you're doing the single joint stuff, you might be thinking, oh my gosh, my triceps are so unstable. Like, wow, I really don't have a lot of strength in this area. And it's just exposing the weakness. So you just simply use the single joint uh, techniques to address those areas and bring it up and you'll be right as rain. Okay, so we have six exercises. Uh, one for each tension chain, push, pull, squat, flexion, extension, and lateral. Exercise number one, the uncommon one that I wish more people did is the basic standard pike push-up instead of handstand work because the handstand gets fixated on people's minds. People are like, look at my handstand. Look at what I can do. And they're like kicking up against the wall and they're shaped like a banana. You know, I've been guilty of this myself. They have very little shoulder mobility, very little shoulder stability. Their wrists don't allow really a, a good straight arm to be engaged. Their triceps are weak. 
And so they're technically, you know, with all these exercises, the thing that they are doing, they can technically do it, but the problem is they're not doing it very well. And always remember, my friends, that your ability to get the results you want does not come from what you are doing, but how well you are doing it. You can have someone who can do 100 push-ups, but they're all crappy, sloppy, mumbo-jumbo push-ups. And they're like, why am I not getting what I want from this? I'm like, well, because they're crappy push-ups. You don't get hard work, uh, per, um, results from hard work. You get it from productivity. And when your proficiency is not very good, you're just not that productive, no matter how hard you're working. So the handstand is great, but the pike push-up has several advantages. One is you're getting more weight on your feet, so you can get a much more balanced and stable shoulder structure to it. You can also stretch yourself up a lot more. So when you're at the top of a pike push-up, kind of like a downward dog position, I know a lot of times people do pike push-up and they're really leaning over on their arms. That's great, but you don't have to do it that way. You can get some weight onto your feet too and kind of gradually move into this. So you can work on that shoulder mobility. You can work on that stability. You're getting your shoulders up by your ears when your arms are extended above you. And then as you come down, you're packing your shoulders down and back uh, with really good form and you're having your uh, shoulders very stable. The other thing too is for a lot of people, if you're just looking to build muscle, you're saying, I just wanna get bigger, the pike push-up is going to be a superior exercise to the handstand work. I was at a handstand workshop one time and I asked the guy, you know, we're doing all these handstand preparatory exercises and it's all about the skill of the handstand and stuff. And I just asked him kind of off the side afterwards. I was like, so if someone's just like looking to get jacked and big, should they do more like a dynamic pike push-up style thing or handstands? He's like, oh, definitely the pike push-ups. He's like, the handstand is definitely not the best way to go about doing that. Just because he's like, there's too, it's too unstable. There's too much skill component to it. And you're going to get much more activation and use of the muscle through the dynamic range of pike push-up variations. And that's one of the reasons why I strongly suggest that more people include pike push-ups into their uh, routine. Because I see people in the gym all the time. They're like barely getting up there. And then they're like, okay, pike push-up or a handstand push-up. And their elbows are flailing way out. And they have very little control. And they're struggling through the reps. As I always tell my clients, you want strong reps, not struggle reps. If you're struggling with it, you're putting yourself much more into fight or flight mode, and it's not the most conducive scenario for you to really build up your body and grow. You're just kind of struggling through it. Uh, so that's the reason why, it, and it's not to say don't do handstands, but you want to be doing something bodybuilding style if you want to build up that muscle. So how many reps can you do? Oh, one or two repetitions. No, you, you got to get, get higher here. Yeah, it's good for like a strength day. It's good for like, I'm really going to push the strength le limit to it, but it's like, get some reps in there, six, seven, eight, 10, 15, 20 repetitions, get those repetitions in there, get a pump, get that muscle burning. And a lot of people are just not going to be able to do that with handstands or handstand variants. You're going to want to get an easier variation. So having your feet either on the floor or elevated up on a box or a weight, weight bench of some variation or you can also have a bigger range of motion by having your hands elevated on something like parallettes or yoga blocks or something to get a couple of inches and stuff. It, it is the reason why I recommend it is there's more versatility. There's more progressive and regressive potential. It's easier to work on the technical aspects of it, easier to build up a muscle pump, and you can just basically blast the hell out of your shoulders and triceps while working on the engagement of your upper back as well. So handstands, good, great, 
But in my humble opinion, more people should be doing more of the feet on the floor or an elevated surface pike push-up style exercise for, for that one. Exercise number two, excuse me, I drink my water. I'll jump between movement chains and support chains here. Uh, movement two is we've got planks, we've got leg raises, all great, wonderful, good. But again, a lot of people struggle with having a stable back or stable pelvis for adequate planks and adequate uh, leg raises. Because remember that your abs don't lift your legs. <laughs> your abs tilt and lift your pelvis. And when it comes to being able to do that effectively from a hanging leg raise position, a lot of people don't have that coordination or the mobility in their lower back. And as a result, they're like, oh yeah, I'm getting my leg raises in. But they're like, I feel it all in my lower back. Always remember that when you're doing core and abdominal exercises specifically, if you feel it in your lower back, you're done. Like you're done. You just, your abs are no longer producing enough tension to support your lumbar region and you're getting that pulling action on the psoas. I was training a long time client today and uh, she was uh, doing some leg raises and about halfway through, because we had a plan of what we were going to do of how many reps and sets and everything about halfway through. She's like, man, I'm really feeling in my back, my lower back. I'm like, well, you're done then. She's like, no, we've got all these other sets to do. I'm like, nope, you're done. There's no point in continuing because your abs are basically out to lunch. They're not able to produce enough tension. You could do it. You can do it. You could struggle through it, but why? It's extra work for very little benefit because your abs are really just not doing their job. So we changed it up to like, I think it was cable crunches and something else that we did. But when you get to that point where you're like, I feel it in my lower back. I'm like, yeah, stop. There's, there's not really much point to keep going with that. So those exercises are great, but you know what's also really good that nobody ever does anymore is just the simple, humble sit-up. And a big part of this is because a lot of people just don't know how to do sit-ups properly. It got vilified, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s about people saying, oh, it's so bad for your back. I'm like, yeah, when you do it wrong. <laughs> yeah, when you're programming it wrong, like, oh, I feel it in my back and I'm still got 200 more sit-ups to go. Like, of course, yeah, but the exercise is not bad. Your execution of it is. And that goes along with the things like the, uh, the injuries that we were just talking about is a lot of times we blame an exercise for an injury or a pain when rather it's the execution of the exercise that's to blame because often it's not the exercise at all. The exercise was fine. It's how we executed it. That was bad. You do dips with your shoulders all hunched up and shrugged up. Yeah. You're going to have bad shoulders, but it's not because you did dips. So with the sit-up, I'm a big fan of what I like to call the, the Janda sit-ups or Janda sit-ups. And these are where you're sitting on the floor. Your feet are not anchored down to anything. And that's one of the big reasons why a lot of people have trouble with things is because they anchor their feet down on like a sit-up bench or their partner's holding them down or something. And so that's locking in part of your body while you're wrenching the other part of your body around. And then we wonder why we have issues with that. So agenda sit-up is you're sitting on the floor, lying on the floor. Your feet are not locked down at all. And the way this is executed is you do a classic sit-up, your hands up either by your chest or down by your hips if you want to make it a little easier. And you're sitting up in a very smooth and controlled motion. You're trying not to jerk your way up and have any sort of momentum or anything. You're not throwing your arms into the sit-up. You're just simply sitting up in a smooth, controlled manner, rolling on your pelvis. You're rolling your pelvis on up. And so when you do that appropriately, it should be 
just as easy on your lower back as anything else. The trick with that is you also want to be driving your heels into the ground. That's where things get tricky because when you're using your glutes and your hamstrings to extend your hip and put slight pressure in your heels into the floor, that adds a lot of resistance onto your abdominals due to leverage. So it's not hard to make this extremely challenging, but you're in control of that resistance. So when you're doing this, you want to have your heels at least on the floor, not pressing in the floor. Sometimes you see people do sit-ups and their, their feet will like float up above the floor a little bit. You want to push them down. You want to roll your pelvis on the floor, like I said. So it, a good cue is to think of pressing your lower back in the floor just before you roll on up. So that way you're not feeling like you're just this locked straight spine that's trying to sit up, but you want to curl yourself up and forward and then come down under control as well. If you do it in that manner, your abs should be going absolutely crazy. You may feel a little more in your hip flexors, which is also very good. We definitely want to get those involved. And it shouldn't be anything in your lower back. Uh, if you, It is a very stressful thing that I recommend regressing, doing the lying leg raises, knees bent on the floor because it's kind of the reverse motion. And just build up on that for a while uh, before attempting the sit-up. It's kind of like the sit-up is a an intermediate exercise between lying leg raises and hanging leg raises. It's kind of fitting somewhere in between there. And uh, that way you can have a uh, good way to adjust how hard you're working your abs by how hard you're pushing your heels into the ground. Make sure you exhale on the way up. But yeah, the humble sit-up, it used to be a staple. Nobody ever does it anymore. And I really think more people should. That and it's a good litmus test for challenging how well you're actually engaging your abs. Because when your legs are flailing up and you can't quite sit up like that, that's a good sign that your flexion chain, particularly your abdominals, just isn't all that strong. Because especially with leg raises, you can, again, com compensate and get the exercise done, even though the muscles you're trying to work really aren't doing all that much. So you want to be very smooth and controlled with it. That's when you know you've got a lot better abdominal engagement and activation. Okay, so we got pike push-ups, we've got sit-ups. Let's go back into our movement chains. We've got squat chain now for the legs. And an exercise that I really think a lot more people should be doing on the regular is what I like to call the, the classic step-up. Step-up or single leg squatting variations on a box or a step for several reasons. Uh, the first of which, is that it's a good way to help prepare for better glute engagement with the squat chain movements. So this is a big thing that holds a lot of people back is when they're in the deep lunge or the squat or something, their glutes just turn right off and they lose a lot of hip stability. They lose a lot of hip mobility as well. And you'll see them too when they stand up or they uh, come out of a squat. It's kind of like they're leaning forward and their hips are just Kind of falling behind a little bit i call it the old man squat if you ever see someone particularly as we get more advanced in age a lot of times we lose the activation of our hips and we stand up out of a chair or something and it's kind of like our ass is still kind of half sitting in the chair when we're standing up and then we start walking and our hips are behind us a little bit and that's always a sign of poor hip activation so on a step up and there's lots of different variations you can do this front ways you can do this sideways uh, you could do it kind of laterally, jumping side to side. But the bottom line is you take a, a plyo box or a weight bench or something very sturdy that's not going to have a lot of rocking to it. 
you put your foot on top of the surface, usually about 18 inches, 20 inches or so, and you're going to lean as much weight over onto that leg as possible. So your knee is going to come way forward. And the cue I always give is basically hips to heel or ass to ankle. Take the back of your hip and the back of your heel and get them as close to each other as humanly possible. And that should bring a lot of your weight onto that front leg. From there, you're going to slightly lean your torso forward. Again, you should feel like you're really loading up that leg. The back leg behind you is bent, and it's kind of just there for support. It's not really doing anything other than just helping you maintain your stability and your control. And from there, you just drive that foot straight into that plyo box or whatever you're standing on as hard as you can to essentially stand up on the box using one leg. The back leg is there for a little bit of assistance, maybe out of the hole, but you want to use the back leg as little as possible. And then you're up on that one leg. And from there, you have the choice of either coming back down on that leg, or you can alternate it onto the other leg for a little bit more lateral stability. And then you essentially try to squat single-legged on that leg while the other leg comes down behind you and it just catches you at the very bottom. Now, the thing I also look for is when they... Uh, client comes down, I'm looking for the path of their knee. It's coming right over their toes. And when they come down, that their weight doesn't shift backwards. So their knee doesn't come back because that happens very frequently where they'll come down and then they'll step and they'll load their back leg and they'll kind of fall back a little bit at the bottom of when they're descending. You want to try to keep that weight on that front leg as much as possible. One of the best ways to do that is to essentially, again, pull with your hamstrings. Squat techniques should be, at least partially, a pulling exercise. You are pulling your knee forward. You're pulling your hip closer to your heel. And that is great for lighting up your hamstrings on the, on the back of your leg, but it does wonders for maintaining your control and stability. And again, a lot of people don't have that. Even really heavy squatters who lift weights don't have that ability to pull themselves together because they're just leaning forward and the weight of the barbell is pulling them forward. So they're not pulling themselves together. They're basically falling forward to a degree. So this type of step up activation is a squat technique that really keeps you honest about what your legs are actually doing. How well are you using your hips? How stable are your hips? How well are you using your hamstrings for control? Where's your control? Do you have control only partially through the range of motion? Then you kind of fall into the bottom of it. There's a lot you can learn from this technique. You can also do this sideways too, where instead of having your supporting leg behind you, you have it to the side where you're basically leaning on your leg and you're standing on the edge of the plyo box, one side or the other, and you come down. And one of the ways I like to do this is you just let your heel touch of the floor. So you're not letting the ball of your foot touch. And that's going to be a very humbling moment for a lot of you out there. Because if you lock out that supporting leg and you only touch with the heel and not roll off on the ball of the foot, that's going to make it a heck of a lot harder. I've had people who be like, oh yeah, this is an easy exercise. They're just stepping up on the box on one side all day long. And they're like, okay, don't touch the foot down. And they come down and they lift up their ball of their foot, their dorsiflexing their ankle. And they just look at me like, I can't move. <laughs> like, I can't, how, how do you do this? I can't get up. It's like, yeah, exactly. You're not able to generate enough hip control and tension to be able to blast yourself up and forward. And now you know. So that's a real good way to do that. Either variation with the leg behind you or to the side is a really good way to 
challenge yourself with this. And if you want to load and add extra weight, uh, it does not take much. An extra you know, 10, 20, 50 tw uh, pounds or so, just holding a, a pair of 15-pound dumbbells, adds a good amount of weight for that sort of thing. So step-ups uh, as a leg exercise that it's very effective, but people just don't do it very much. And I think there's a lot to be gained from it. So I think that's why I'm recommending it here for you to do. Gatsu is coming on. It's good to see you. Hey, Matt, the way I do inverted rows with the legs up vertically and close grip uh, push-ups with bad form, in quotes, when I push up, I uh, start off uh, to do it like a sphinx a back bend to reduce the shoulder work. Well, I would ask, why are you trying to reduce the shoulder work? You know, when we're, we're doing compound movements, we want to have good activation of as many muscles as possible and get as much benefit as you can get. Uh, don't isolate, integrate. So why are we trying to stay focused on uh, one thing uh, or uh, exclude trying to get the shoulders to work less? My guess is maybe you've got a little bit of shoulder hunch going on with the, the push-up, and that's why you feel like it's more on the shoulders, in which case packing the shoulders down and back may do wonders for you. So let's see, what else we got? We got three out of our six right now. We got our pike push-ups. We got our step-ups. We got sit-ups for the flexion chain. Let's go to the extension chain now. Extension, backside. And uh, this goes right along with it is uh, the basic hip bridge or the reverse plank, if you will. Now, bridging in the calisthenics world is not popular at all by many stretches. You can watch some people's channels out there on YouTube and Instagram and stuff, and you can watch them do muscle-ups and pull-ups and one-arm push-ups all day long. And then it's like, well, where the hell is your extension work? Where's your glute and hamstring work? Like, it's just not there. And a big reason for it is because, it, one, it's just not sexy. It's not going to get the likes and shares. And always remember, folks, that in the world of social media, people are going to post whatever gets eyeballs and attention. Not because it's true and not because it's good or beneficial. It's just whatever is going to get me more attention. That's the main driver for posting anything on social media. So we've got to sometimes question these sorts of things because one of the most effective and best things you can do for your body is extension work, particularly in calisthenics training. And you're just not going to find a lot of it because it's just not popular. But it should be because <laughs> it's extremely beneficial. It's very, very good for your back, but it's also very humbling for your hip drive and your hip extension. How well are you engaging your glutes and your hamstrings? So hip bridges are a footnote in the convict conditioning style where you basically sit on the floor and your arms are kind of behind you, kind of like you're sitting back watching TV, and you lift up your hips. Your body looks like a straight line from shoulders to heels, kind of like you're doing a plank, but backwards. So that's why it's sometimes referred to as a reverse plank. And a lot of times people do it isometrically, but I prefer to do it dynamically. And you're using primarily your hips and hamstrings to drive the movement with stability in the back. And in that case, it's fundamentally essentially the same thing as a deadlift, stabilizing in your back, driving with your hips, same kind of thing. It's a hip hinging movement. So when we're doing this exercise, you want to make sure that your hips are the driving focus, not your lower back. And that's why more people should be doing this exercise is because a lot of us have very poor hip drive. A lot of us have very uh, dominant lower back activation in order to compensate. And that's why it feels like our lower back is always tight and stiff. And no matter how strong you're trying to make your lower back, it never will be that strong because there's no way it can be strong enough 
to adequately get enough force that is not coming from your hips. It's also a really good way to test the tension control in your hips too. So the test I give a lot of clients is sit on the floor, legs are straight out in front of you, you're leaning back on your arms, good. Now, can you engage your glutes and your hamstrings without moving? You just tense up all the muscles on the backside of your legs. Now, when you do that, you should kind of feel like you're raising an inch or two off the floor just because your muscles went from soft and not very tight to engaged and it's lifting you up a couple inches. That's a good little litmus test to try out because if you can't do that, then that's a pretty good sign that your activation back there is less than adequate. And it probably doesn't really do a whole lot of good no matter what you do, hip bridges, kettlebell swings, deadlifts and stuff. It's just not gonna work those muscles to the degree that you need or want just because you have trouble turning the darn things on in the first place. So try these hip bridges. You can progress them pretty easily too. So you're sitting on the floor, legs are straight out in front of you. You can bend your knees if you need to reduce the resistance. Uh, so sometimes you can call this a table bridge where your knees are bent 90 degrees and you lift up your hips. And again, deadlift, basically. You're driving with your hips, stabilizing with your back. Your shoulders are back, you're down. You're getting a good activation in your triceps as well, which is kind of a nice little bonus. Good shoulder mobility, which is also very good for this sort of thing. And uh, just driving up and down, trying to keep tension in your glutes and your hips throughout the entire range of motion. Don't let them relax at the bottom. And if you want to progress it, you can cross your ankles. So the bottom leg is doing a little bit more work. You can micro progress it by moving your foot further up your shin uh, towards your knee, and that's going to make it a little bit harder. And then, of course, you can go with single leg variants uh, where you're just doing it one leg or sometimes one leg alternating at a time can be a good way to go about it as well. But it's going to be a real humbling thing for how well can you actually use your glutes and hamstrings. And if they're not very good, then that exercise is a good way to improve that sort of thing. Remember, just because an exercise is supposed to be working and using a muscle doesn't mean it actually is or is working it to the degree you need it to be because exercises don't work muscle. Exercises are the degree, or excuse me, the application for that working muscle. It's your brain that's turning the muscle on. It's your brain and your nervous system that's engaging and working the muscle. And those hip bridges are a really good way to test and improve that engagement. So that way it is engaging better over time, which will do wonders for your posterior chain power and strength in your posture and athletic performance and so on and so forth. So hip bridges. Really, really good. Don't just do all of the back bridges all the time if you are bridging even at all, which most people are not. Brian, awesome, very good. Joseph Bello, good question here. Hello, Matt. Are bridges a replacement for deadlifts uh, and is a good corrective for you to upper back or whole back? So always remember that people love to compare apples to oranges when it, for some reason, when it comes to calisthenics. I don't know why. Like. Nobody ever does this with other modalities. Like when people get into banded work, they're not saying, well, is the banded deadlift as good as a barbell deadlift or something like that? It's, the comparison always is kind of a little weird. So always remember that when we're comparing apples to oranges, we want to look at it several different ways. The first of which is, what are you fundamentally doing? So fundamentally, things are the same. It's a hip hinge exercise. You're using the same muscles for the same movement, for the same purpose and everything. So in that regard, yeah, it's the same. But when it comes to the specifics of how you're using your body, no exercise is the same as any other exercise. And that's because physiological adaptation is always specific to whatever we're doing. 
there's no such thing as any exercise that's going to make you at like a hundred percent as good at any other type of exercise. You know, I've got guys who are super heavy deadlifters. They can't do a table bridge to save their life. You know, I've got people who can run a marathon, but they have horrible endurance for free sparring. I know people who can uh, do a 180 degree split, but their shoulder mobility is horrific. Okay, so there's nothing out there that's ever going to make you adequately mobile, strong, endurance, balance, stability, whatever, at everything else. So that's why it's always very important for you to be, what specifically do I want to get out of my training? Because you don't want to just be doing any old thing and assuming, good, I'm, I'm sure I'm strong at everything, I'm mobile at everything, I'm endurance for everything, because you're not. <laughs> We're all going to be weak, tight, stiff, and uh, have poor endurance for something out there. I can ride my mountain bike for hours. But it's going to take an act of Congress for me to swim across an Olympic swimming pool because I can't swim for crap. My endurance is terrible because I don't swim. <laughs> now, of course, there's going to be plenty of carryover. Absolutely. But uh, that's why you want to be concerning yourself. Do you want to have strength in the basic fundamental movement pattern? Well, then just do whatever you want. You know, it really doesn't matter what kind of exercise you do. But if you're hell bent and you're like, I you know, heavy deadlift is the only marker of strength I care about. And like, well, then deadlift, don't even bother with the bridges. You know, are you going to get the benefit of bridging from deadlifting? Of course not. Uh, no, but you're going to build up that strong posterior chain and that hip hinge. And if that's all you care about, well, then there you go. This goes along with what I was saying earlier about adopting versus discarding various methods. You know, if you just don't care about that back flexibility and mobility or the way that bridges work with your body, don't worry about it. You don't need it. As long as you're getting something on that extension chain, <laughs> you got to get something in there uh, in order to make sure those muscles are getting adequately worked. But it doesn't really matter what you do. So if you don't care about bridges, don't do bridges. If you don't care about deadlifts, don't worry about the deadlifts. Just get something in there. But if you're hell-bent and like, I need to have a really good, perfect bridge for whatever reason, well, then you'd better be bridging. Uh, so it's, are you concerned about the specific adaptations or the general adaptations? If it's the specific adaptations, you need to do the thing that you're specifically training for. And if you're after the general stuff, well, then just do whatever the hell you want. <laughs> whatever suits your preferences and needs and stuff like that. Uh, Gul Herrings, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I can't quite read my screen right now. It's a little blurry. Hey, Matt, uh, what technical flow in performing uh, decline push-ups can cause irritation under and behind the collarbones? Uh, so you might want to get that, some eyes on that one. Uh, for what that might uh, mean. It could be a number of things. I would bet money that you've got a hunch going on that's probably happening there uh, where you you're come down and you're kind of hunching up and your shoulders are falling forward. You don't have enough support in your back. I would bet money on that's what's going on or your elbows are just way too wide. Can you get your forearms to rub your rib cage when you're in the, the, that type of push-up? That's what I would look into uh, for there. And it might also just be related to your neck too. Are you pigeoning? You know, are you coming down and trying to get your face to the floor? Get that neck in alignment because that can be kind of messing up a lot of the force transfer in that area of your body as well. And lastly, I would say, look at the volume that you're doing as well. Uh, you know, maybe you're just kind of doing a bit much if you're like, yeah, I do 3,000 of these a day or whatever. Or Herschel Walker's my <laughs> idol or something. It's like, yeah, maybe back off on the, uh, volume a little bit. You might just be irritating something uh, back there. Because remember that sometimes when we have an injury, what we're doing isn't necessarily bad. It's just aggravating the injury. It's like if I twisted my ankle and then I started just walking 
a mile every day. It's like, God, this really hurts my ankle. Like, why is walking so bad? What am I doing wrong with my walking? It's like, you're not doing anything wrong. You're hurt. You have an injury. So even healthy, normal things that don't cause injury are going to hurt because you have the injury. So you might have just had an incident one day where you just zigged when you should have zagged. You caused some sort of irritation up there. And now things are perfectly fine still, but you just keep irritating it because you're not letting it rest and recover. So that's another possibility to look into. But yeah, if you can get eyes on that from someone uh, like a coach or a PT or something, see your technique, that could be very enlightening there. All right, finishing off our movement chains today, we have the seated pull-ups instead of the regular pull-ups. And this one I often recommend to a lot of people because people get stuck on pull-up variations to a very large degree where they're like, okay, I'm in a plateau. Well, how many uh, uh, pull-ups can you do? And they're like, three. Like, okay, so the pull-up right now is at a level of resistance for you that it's a lot of tension. It's very, very, very heavy. Uh, And you burn out real quickly too because you're struggling with those three. And because it's so heavy, uh, you may not have the best form either. Your shoulders are hunching up. You're, You're kind of kyphotic at the top. You know, you're kicking your legs out and stuff. Technique's not the best. And again, these techniques, I'm not saying don't do this, do this instead, but I'm saying do that less and this other thing more. And the seated pull-up is an exercise where you're doing a pull-up on rings or a bar that's about chest height or so, and you basically keep your feet on the ground where you're holding yourself down, you have a vertical line between your hands to your hips, and then your feet are in front of you. And then you do your pull-up with your feet staying on the ground. And this gives you the ability to adjust the resistance by how much you're pushing your feet into the floor. And you're just not lifting as much weight because you're not lifting up your legs. And this is a really good way to, A, get a lot more volume with your pull-up, which a lot of us need. I mean, yeah, three pull-ups is great, but a good strength training repertoire is going to have higher rep stuff as well. You should have something where you're getting 10, 12, 15 repetitions sometimes. So that's not going to come from regular pull-ups. You should be doing something lighter, and that's what seated pull-ups are good for. Two, it helps you work on your technique as well, because a lot of people have trouble packing those shoulders down adequately. Remember, when we're doing pull-up variations with any type of grip and any variation, we should feel this a pretty good deal in our back. It shouldn't all be in the biceps and the forearms or in the arms. A lot of people have a lot of trouble engaging their back adequately because their shoulders are hunched up. They're not packing their shoulders down. Their shoulders aren't back and so on. And you're just not going to be able to work on that when you're doing super heavy techniques that you can only do two or three reps of. So the seated pull-ups give you that variation as well. Plus, you can modify and adjust the seated pull-up a lot. So if your feet are tucked in close to your hips, then that's going to be easier. If your feet are out further, that's going to be harder and you just do to leverage. If you elevate your feet up on something, that's going to be harder even still. And typically when I'm training people at the calisthenics gym, if you can get 10 seated pull-ups with their feet elevated up on a box, then you could probably usually get four or five pull-ups right out of the gate. It's not going to be like, yeah, I got my first pull-up. If they're getting some good repetitions and that type of L style shape, Uh, pull-up, then you're going to get multiple reps on that pull-up and it's not going to feel like it's too terribly difficult uh, for the standard pull-up variation. And it's also very good for being able to adjust uh, as far as the programming goes, but be aware of your tension control because a lot of people can't even do the uh, seated pull-ups 
with their legs out because their hips lift. They're trying to use their legs to lift up, which transfers weight to the feet, which isn't a terribly bad thing, but it does mean that your arms are pretty weak. So my general rule of thumb is if you can't do a seated pull-up with your legs out straight and your spine is vertical and you're not lifting up your hips, if you're lifting up your hips, you're not doing regular pull-ups because you don't have enough strength to keep your hips down with seated pull-ups as it is. Now, yeah, can you get up on the bar and just you know grind out and struggle through several regular pull-ups. Yeah, you can. It's like, wee, yay, I got pull-ups, but who cares? You know, you don't get stronger by doing pull-ups. You get stronger by doing better pull-ups. And a lot of times people are just going to have much better pull-ups with seated pull-ups than with regular full body weight pull-ups. And again, it's a good warm-up. It's good for drop sets. It's good for regressions. Sometimes I'll be giving someone pull-ups and they're just not having the best day. They're not as strong in their back or their arms or whatever. I'm like, okay, we're not doing pull-ups today. We do the seated pull-ups. And yeah, it, sometimes it's a bit of an ego hit. Sometimes we are like, no, I'm a, I do pull-ups. You know, I, that's an exercise that's beyond me. It's beneath me. No, nobody's beneath or beyond these techniques. These techniques are always part of our repertoire for some reason, uh, purpose. You know, you wouldn't watch a, someone go into a gym and they, they see the rack of dumbbells there. And you're like, your dumbbells go down to five pounds. I'm like, yeah, it's like, well, I, I'm not going to work out here. You know, I, I lift 45 and above. I don't need anything that's less than 45 pounds. Of course not. You know, so we want to have the same attitude with our progressive calisthenics. We still want to recognize the validity of the lighter, easier exercises in our program, if nothing else, for warming up, for working on technique, for drop sets, and so on. Let's answer a couple more questions. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, uh, Rodriguez. Uh, saying, hey, ask about, is isometric doing a pull-up make me do more reps? Probably. Remember, strength is strength in the muscle. You know, as I was saying earlier, like strength is specific to your technique, but if you make a muscle stronger, anything you use that muscle for is going to get better. So if you're doing isometric rows and you're working your biceps and your lats and you're getting them stronger, yeah, that's going to definitely carry over to stronger pull-ups, to stronger rows to stronger anything you use your back for. So making a muscle basically stronger is definitely going to help. Yeah, boy is saying, and I know my form is correct because I have grown my entire torso, but don't assume there. Because remember, it's really easy to build muscle still if you have bad form too, because you can have horrific form and still build it. Because all you need to do is get tension in the muscle. That, that's all you need. You can have bad form. You can do whatever exercise because muscle is really simple in that regard. It's not hard to build a muscle as long as you can get the darn thing on and you can get it working. Uh, but when you have better form, you typically have better control. And that's what you want to be looking for. Muscle growth is usually not the best litmus test, which I know is, is a little bit hard. But, uh, you know, the guy with the best physique in the gym is not always the best athlete or the best trainer or the best, even has the best technique uh, out there. You know, it happens all the time where you'll see someone on Instagram with an amazing physique and it's like, that's what you call a pull-up dude? It's like, okay. But all it needs to do is get the muscle working. That's all it needs to do. It doesn't need to be a whole heck of a lot in order to grow and build up a muscle. All right. <clears throat> and yeah, he's saying, what is the question below? So what do, do, do... oh, I skipped ahead. <laughs> He's saying, uh, so the initial one off of that, I love pulling exercises. 
and all kind because push exercises tend to mess with my elbows even after warmups. Okay, so anytime we have pain, that's Mother Nature's sign that you're doing something wrong, flat out. Okay, so something's definitely wrong there. Pain is always a sign something's bad. Uh, after warmups, my biceps tend to get pretty fatigued as well, and I think it's all due to leverages. Nope, you're definitely doing something wrong in the technique, for sure. And remember, 90% of technique is invisible. It's not something you're going to see. It's something you feel. Okay, so a lot of technique is, body position is just 1% of technique. Most of technique is what you're telling your muscles what to do. Uh, so when you're doing an exercise, you can have a good body position, but still poor activation. Because again, as I was saying earlier, your ability to compensate is very, very strong. You know, when back in the day, like I was on a mission to be able to do a decent deadlift because deadlift was always a, a hard exercise for me. It's like, I feel it in my lower back. I feel it in my spine. It doesn't feel very good. And I'd have coaches all over, you know, everyone's looking at me and they're like, yep, form looks pretty good. Form looks pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. No back is straight. Shoulders back. Okay. Form's good. I don't, I don't know. You know, kind of thing. But the fact of the matter is body position is such a small part of correct form. Muscle activation is most of it. And you're not, in, unless it's really bad, you're just not going to see anything. But you're going to sure as hell feel it. <laughs> so in regards to like pull-ups, like you should feel your back going crazy. When you've got really good technique on the pull-up, uh, it should feel more spread out with the activation. And that's what the idea of chain training is uh, that I address in all of my books. You shouldn't feel like it's all in this one area or this area and stuff. It should be kind of, more overall in the general thing. So particularly with pull-ups and rows and stuff, it's like grip, biceps, shoulders, and all of my back. It's pretty much even throughout the whole thing. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's all in my back or all in my biceps. This is pretty evenly distributed. That's what you're really looking for. So when we don't really feel it very much in a muscle that either says, A, mind-muscle connection just isn't very good. B, stability is off. So maybe the shoulders aren't quite as packed as they could be, which is very, very common. And again, this is why I like doing the seated pull-ups and stuff because it's easier to dial that stuff in. Uh, and uh, two, also look into uh, just, are you able to squeeze and pull the back inwards? Because uh, a lot of us, we think lats spread things out because of the lat spread bodybuilding poses and stuff like that. And that's not what the lats do. <laughs> lats don't push things outwards. They pull it inwards. So you want to feel like your back activation, excuse me, is pulling things into the spine. But yeah, pain is mother nature way of telling us we're screwing up. So something's definitely off. And unless again, you have an injury, like I was saying earlier, if you have an injury from just some sort of acute occurrence, like twisting an ankle, then you can do things perfectly correct. And it's going to still hurt because you're not letting it heal. And that's always a possibility. But typically when it's just weeks and months of something happening, uh, that usually is telling me that that form is off somewhere. My Chocolate, thank you very much for the donation. Is asking, hey, Matt, I uh, love your vids. Uh, definitely going to try some of these sitting pull-ups. Yeah, it's a humbling thing, especially with the legs straight. That's not an easy technique. <clears throat> it's my first time hearing about them. I have videos, by the way, too. I forgot to mention, folks, on the YouTube channel. Uh, if you do seated pull-ups or L-sit pull-ups or something like that, you'll find it for some instructions on how to do that. I should make another new video just to update it. And they make uh, total sense. Um, I'm only ever heard of using bands to make them easier. Yeah, and bands are, are fine. But again, I like the L and the seated pull-up because it gives you more control. 
I'm very much a big fan of using techniques that give you control during the exercise, control of the resistance, control of the range of motion, control of your body position. And the more control you have, the easier it is to get what you want out of the exercise. This is one of the reasons why I love suspension straps and rings and stuff like that, because the, a lot of the exercises you do with that are really easy to adjust right on the fly. So if you're doing banded pull-ups and you get to like five and you're like, oh, I kind of wish this was a little easier, or a little harder, or oh shoot, the band's kind of pulling me around a little bit or something. Then you have to stop and you have to switch out the band. Maybe the band's too long, maybe it's too short and stuff. It, with the seated stuff, you just simply change your body position. You extend your legs a little more or pull it in or whatever. You know, it's real easy to adjust on the fly to give you the control so you can perfectly dial in that technique just the way you want it. Nothing against bands. Uh, it's just more of, I really just much prefer the seated pull-up. I think it's just a better way to go. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think I've covered almost all of them. I got pike push-ups, seated pull-ups, step-ups, sit-ups, hip bridge. And then finally, in the last one for the lateral chain is the side plank leg lift. And this is not really so much of, you know, everybody does this for their lateral chain. Yeah, most people don't work anything for their lateral chain, to be honest with you. But a lot of people get stuck doing side plank work where they're either just holding it for like time and they're bored out of their minds, which is usually not the best way to go because then you're just doing a lot of volume. But the reason why I like side planks lifting up the top leg is because it's a really quick way to assess hip lateral hip strength and stability, which is for most of us terrible, <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest, just carries over into single leg work. That's why most of us can't do single leg work and we have knee issues and we've got all sorts of issues uh, when it comes to our single leg exercises because our lateral chain, particularly in our hips, is just weak and unstable and uncoordinated. So doing a side plank with a foot lift or a leg lift is real basic. And this is kind of like Jane Fonda days, you know, back in, you know, 80s uh, cassette tapes and stuff. So you're just going to hold a regular side plank. You can do this on your hand, but most of the time we do it with a bent arm. Shoulders are packed down and back. Hips are all the way forward. So we're not like rolled over like this. We're not, you know, bending in half or anything. So our body is ramrod straight. Remember with a lot of lateral chain stuff, especially side planks, you're going to feel like you're pushing yourself forward with your extension chain. And then you just pick up your top leg. That's all you do. And the higher you pick it up, it's going to be a bit more challenging. The leg will typically want to bend. So try to push out with the heel in order to manage that. But uh, yeah, that's all there is to it. You can do it dynamically with leg lifts or you can do it isometrically. But in either case, you're going to feel that hip of the leg that's supporting you on the bottom go absolutely nuts. The front of it, the back of it, the sides of it and everything. And it's going to be really telling as hard as to how strong that hip and how stable that hip really is. And more importantly, how well that hip is integrating with your lateral chain. And so the side plank with the leg lift is, again, the uncommon thing. So quickly recap here. So pike push-ups, uh, particularly for building up the strength, stability, and mobility in the shoulders instead of just doing too, many, uh, too much work and struggling with handstand variations. Seated pull-ups. Instead of regular pull-ups, again, for much the same reasons, lots of variations. Uh, Step-ups, instead of like struggling with wobble and balance with pistol squats and stuff, uh, you have your sit-ups for your flexion chain. 
particularly John the sit-ups where you're driving your heels into the floor. Remember, you're rolling your pelvis on up. You have the hip bridge instead of just the back bridge or other conventional uh, style of extension exercises like deadlifts and swings and things like that. Uh, not Again, nothing against all these exercises. Just think these exercises bring something to the table that most people are lacking. And then finally, side plank with the leg lift. Six exercises that are not very common, but boy, I, ha I have all of my clients do these to a very large degree, uh, at least some point in their training career. Why? Because they help to fill in the gaps that most of us are missing. Dave is uh, coming on. We get some last minute questions to, before finishing up saying, hey, Matt, do you find the side plank leg lift improves your sidekick? Oh, absolutely. For sure. Uh, the first time I did it, I couldn't lift my leg. And that happens too sometimes. Uh, so if you have trouble with that, you don't pick up your leg. You just kind of pick up your heel and the ball of your foot stays in contact with the bottom foot. But oh yeah, major carryover to all of my lateral kicks in Taekwondo for sure. Uh, Jewel is saying, hey Matt, how do we train rotation with bodyweight training? So there's a lot of different ways to do it. In the classic Russian twist, you know, just sit back and you're rotating like this is a good way to do it. You can also do the same thing with legs going side to side. Um, you can do hanging leg raises where your, your knees are coming up from one side to the other. Um, but in all honesty, uh, I really do believe that the rotational stuff is not all that valuable to it. Uh, because I used to do a ton of rotational stuff with bands and cables and things like that, thinking, oh, this will improve my rotations with punching and stuff. And I, I honestly can't say it did anything for me <laughs> to a large degree. Now, again, it might be a little different if I was in a really rotational specific sport like tennis or something. But yeah, generally rotation is not something I really feel we need to work that much on. If you're getting your general lateral flexion and extension, your support chain muscles, then they're probably going to be plenty strong. And then the rotation that you need will come from whatever rotation you practice in your given sport. And uh, the application of the strength is more important for the, uh, uh, than for, you know, golf. So as long as you're making the muscles strong in anything, even if there's no rotation, that's fine. Uh, plus, keep in mind that most muscles in the body have some sort of rotational component to them. And we typically think of muscle as running up and down along the length of an arm or something, but almost all muscles have some rotation to it. I was looking up the other day, the pectoral muscles, and we were doing chest flies. And I was like, you know, if we have just a little bit of internal rotation, just a touch that feels a little more stable. And I looked it up and I'm like, yeah, sure enough, pectorals are partially responsible for internal rotation of the humerus like, yep. Okay. Like I dare you to find a muscle that doesn't involve rotating uh, some part of your body. So generally just, if you get the muscle working in any way, because the muscles getting stronger, rotation will get stronger. That's what I'm talking about. Either rotation of the trunk, rotation of a leg, rotation of an arm. If the muscles are stronger, rotation is going to be stronger because that's what muscles do. You don't necessarily always need to have rotation uh, in uh, a particular type of activation. Adnan is saying, hey, Matt, I could do like six good pull-ups. My legs are straight, good, behind me, and arch my back when I try and hit it with my legs in front of me, like L, uh, like an L uh, position. Seems I can only do one. Uh, legs are long and big. Yeah, well, it's also just a leverage thing about where you're, you're putting your weight and everything. Um, they're a lot harder for sure. So you don't need to have your legs like straight out in front of you, although that can certainly be a good challenge but that's definitely going to be a lot harder uh, 
Uh, it's a fun variation that you can do. I used to have a buddy who worked as a stunt performer uh, in show business, and he swore by that technique. He's like, I guess everything I need. And it's like, okay, I don't know what you need to be a good stuntman, but holy smokes. But yeah, they're much harder for sure, uh, just because of the way that you're having leverage and weight distribution is more forward versus back. Plus, when you are doing uh, pull-ups, the more vertical your spine is, the more strength and stability you're going to need in your shoulders. It kind of keeps you honest. So when you have legs like behind you, and you have that arch, you don't need nearly as much strength and mobility in your shoulders to make that happen. If you know, Sometimes you'll see people where they're recommending, you know, you do pull-ups and you've got like this huge arch going on and you watch them come all the way down. And if they're still maintaining that arch, they're only coming to like a slight flexion of the shoulder. Like it's not straight up overhead. So it's almost kind of like just an incline row, so to speak, which is fine. Uh, but you're not getting nearly as much range in the shoulders. But when you've got your legs out in front of you, that's going to be a lot easier. And it's going to promote that vertical torso position and that full range of motion in your shoulders to a very large degree. And that's definitely going to make it a heck of a lot harder. Joseph coming on again, saying, hey, Matt, um, I really... Uh, I've missed what you said about pike push-ups. Are they good for a complete shoulder exercise? Absolutely, yes, uh, for sure. Because uh, again, bodybuilding teaches you you've got to hit every muscle from every conceivable little tiny angle, which is why sometimes you'll have people where they're like, yeah, my calf routine is three hours long because I've got to do it every conceivable way from here till Tuesday kind of thing. And you just don't need that. You just simply don't. Uh, you just basically any type of overhead style pressing, pushing type of activation will just get your whole shoulders. You know, you don't need to hit everything. It's not like your shoulders are not getting thoroughly worked by that. Uh, so this stuff that, you know, you can do lateral raises and stuff as a supplement. It's like, yeah, I just like adding in a little bit more, but you certainly don't need it. Uh, so any type of overhead variant, perfectly adequate for the shoulders. Fitness is saying, hey, Matt, uh, what are some lateral chain overcoming isometrics? So one of my favorites is one of the most basic where you just simply pony up to a desk or a table or a countertop. You put your arm out straight. I know you can't quite see here in the, in the picture. And you just put your hand on it, and then you just push down into your arm using your lateral chain. And at the same time, hopefully you're standing, you're kind of pulling your foot towards the counter as well. So it's kind of like you're pushing your hand and your foot closer to each other. Uh, it's a, sometimes a lot more effective if you can do that with your hand on a suspended handle because then you can really dial in some of the technique a little bit. But that's one of the best ways to do it. A uh, hybrid isometric that you can do is just a simple side plank, and you're squeezing the floor together uh, between your arm and your feet. That works particularly well. Um, having an iso loop or someone's hands on your hip can be a good way to enhance that as well. So those are some of the more fun lateral chain isometrics that you can do. Ella saying, hey, Matt, that's good to see you, Elle. Julius. Uh, Jules, excuse me, saying, hey again, Matt, I miss what you said about sit-ups. Yeah, sit-ups are awesome and they're great and they're wonderful. People should be doing them more. Uh, again, when people are like, no, they're bad for you. Yeah, if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> if you have poor application and poor programming, yes, anything can be bad for you if you don't know what you're doing. Remember, as I said earlier, pain is Mother Nature's way of telling you you're screwing up. It's not the exercise is bad. It's not that the, you know, the circumstances are bad or anything. It's like you're doing something wrong. <laughs> so take pain as a lesson. Take pain as a sign of like, okay, I'm missing something here. 
there's something I'm doing that is not right. So what is it? And because when you learn what that is, not only do you salvage that technique, but you also gain a heck of a lot more because pain is weakness. It's a sign that something is going wrong. And I guarantee you that thing that's going wrong is still holding you back from building the strength and muscle you want. So when you have pain, take it as a lesson. And it can be a little Sherlock Holmes to figure it out. You might need some expert opinions and eyes on what you're doing to figure it out. But do, don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. The technique is good. It's valid. Something I'm doing is wrong. If I do an exercise, my knee hurts. I know I'm doing something wrong. I'm the one who's making the mistake. And th that is something that needs to be addressed. So Elle is coming on saying, hey, I changed my style of training and diet uh, in a positive way. Good. Congratulations. Thanks. Keep up the good work. Going to listen to this podcast tomorrow. Thank you very much, folks. And again, I, I post the audio to these uh, this podcast on your local podcast directories. Try to get it out by Sunday night. Doesn't always quite happen. Sometimes it happens on Monday afternoon. But uh, I do post this, the audios of it. And you can also check the live on the Red Delta Project YouTube channel that is immediately available right afterwards. So if you missed anything, you can go back, check it out on the YouTube channel and uh, get caught up on everything there as well. So it's not like if you missed the live feed, then, oh, I missed it. I can't get anything out of it. No, you can definitely uh, catch back up uh, through those mediums as well. So thank you very much, folks. As always, it's been a pleasure. I will bid you adieu and let you on with your weekend. And uh, if you have further questions, all of these exercises that I covered, I've got tutorials and stuff on the RDP YouTube channel. Uh, so if you look up the names of pike push-ups, seated pull-ups, L pull-ups, uh, step-ups, sit-ups and stuff, you're going to find uh, videos explaining these things so you can see a visual because I know it's really hard to describe these things here on a podcast. And as always, don't forget that these exercises are covered in much more detail in my books down below in the description, progressive and weighted calisthenics specifically covers, I think all of these, yeah, uh, for sure, uh, because that's the best way to uh, building muscle and strength without uh, much as far as equipment. And uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Let me, oh, last couple of questions here. Um, well, uh, Yoi Boy is saying, what's your live stream schedule? So I live out here in Denver, Colorado, mountain time, 2.30, ish <laughs> uh, Saturday uh, afternoons. That's usually the way I like to stick to it. Sometimes I have something going on during the weekend, like next weekend, I'm not going to be able to do a live because I'm going to be home in Vermont, probably not going to be able to get away and do things on my computer. Uh, so then in those cases, I just make up a regular audio podcast and share it through the directory. So that way I at least give you something for the week, but I won't be able to do this next week. Uh, but thanks for asking. But yeah, 2.30 Mountain Standard Time or uh, GMT here in Denver, Colorado on Saturdays. And, and Vera Fit is saying, what do you think about doing high rep uh, push-ups every day for a month for a challenge? It can be a challenge, but that's about it. You know, why? You know, always remember there needs to be a purpose behind what we're doing. I'm not a big fan of challenges for challenge sake. Life is hard enough as it is. Fitness is hard enough as it is. Uh, I used to do challenges like that. And I was like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a challenge. You'll have accomplished something for doing this hard thing. And then after a while, I was like, well, that felt like a complete waste of time because it didn't do anything I wanted to actually accomplish. <laughs> and so have a purpose behind your training first. Have a fundamental understanding of what type of stimulus and productivity you're looking for from your training. Don't just do a challenge for challenge sake. 
Because usually that just means you're ending up spending a lot of time and energy throwing stuff at a wall, crossing your fingers, and hoping something positive is going to come out of it. Remember, my friends, that hard work is an investment. It'd be like if I said, okay, take a million dollars and just invest it randomly at things and see if you can invest a million dollars. Well, shouldn't I worry about my return? Shouldn't I do my homework on companies and what their growth person? No, don't worry about any of that stuff. It doesn't need to do anything. Just spend the money any way that you can and hope it ends for the best. Not a big fan of fitness challenges and that sort of thing. You have a purpose behind your training first and foremost. What are you trying to accomplish? What is your goal? What kind of stimulus are you trying to create? And then when you know that, you probably find that most of the time these challenges are usually mostly a waste of time or they're just a very expensive way to do something simple. Like, okay, hundreds of reps every single day. Why? I can do that in 20 reps three times a week. I can do the same result. Like, why would I spend time and energy I don't need to spend? And so that's why I don't do these challenges anymore uh, for myself. But anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for coming on in. I will bid you adieu, and I'll talk to you next, well, not next week, but, uh, well, next week I'll talk at you, but you can't talk back to me because it won't be live. But in either way, I'll talk to you later. Be fit, live free.